Good morning, church. How's everyone today? Amen, amen. God is a lover. God loves you. 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 We sing that song, Lean Back. You will never leave me. You will never leave. Your love sustaining me. Before I even knew what love was, you brought me here to rest and given me a space to breathe. So I'll stay still until it sinks in. That could take a while. That could take a while. If we're going to, if we are going to stay still in the presence of God until it sinks into the fact that God loves us, that may take a while. That may take a minute. That's not going to happen in, in three or four worship songs. That's not going to happen in 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half. This is going to take a while. God loves you. We have to understand. Our mind is finite, and we're trying to understand an infinite God with a finite mind. And so we're trying to understand the infinite love of God with our limited understanding. God loves you. There has never been anything that can get in the way of God's love for you. Nothing that you can ever do will ever change, could ever change the love that God has for you. No matter what, even while we were yet sinners, even while we were enemies of the cross, even while we hated God, God loved us. He loved us so passionately that Jesus came to the earth as a little baby, born as a little baby, Born so vulnerable. God made himself vulnerable to humanity because of his love for us. Glory to God. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves. I love that word that came today. I, lo- I love that, that prophetic, that God loves you. God loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He loves me. It's not just this blanket thing. He loves me individually. He loves you individually. He loves everything about you. God made you special. If we had an understanding of who God made us to be, we would never try to be someone else. Oftentimes we see someone who's doing something awesome, whether it's in the world or whether it's for God, and then we pattern our life after them, and we go too far, and we start to do the things that they do and say the things that they said. When that's what what God intended, I'm not ever going to be a a great Joel Osteen or a great this one, that one, Billy Graham. I'll never be one of these people and be them and be great in that way. I can only be great when I'm Matt Medic and I be the best Matt Medic that I can be because that's who he made me to be. And so we need to leave this thinking that I need to look like anyone else on the planet and I need to do my own thing. In the context of what God has created me to do. He's created us. He's designed us, each one with specific plan. Oh, God is good, amen? Amen. 
And he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. I've been saved for 28, going on 29 years, and I am still amazed at how much God loves me. If you've been saved for a minute, you should be amazed at how, God, how much God loves you. And when you're 30 years saved, you should be just as in awe of how much God loves you. And when you've been saved 50 years, you should be just as in awe of how much God loves you. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less reason to praise him. I know the song says we'll have no less days to sing his praise. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less reason to praise him. We'll still, I believe, be gaining a greater understanding of how much God loves us. God loves us. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, I'm going to jump into our Christmas message here. Good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. The angel came and they said to the shepherds, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all of the people. Hey, I've got good news of great joy. And it's for everyone. It's for you. It's for everyone. And so today, I want to begin by sharing a message entitled, Prepare the Way of the Lord. Prepare the Way of the Lord. Prepare the Way of the Lord. So as we think about Christmas, as we're coming towards Christmas, it's here. Christmas Eve is Friday. It's five short days away. Christmas is here. It's upon us. We need to prepare. How many of us have prepared for Christmas? I see many of you have prepared for Christmas. You wore red today, right? Now, whether you did this on purpose, right, like I did, I saved my red for today because, you know, technically we're kicking off our own Christmas messages here. We're kicking off the Christmas season at Redeeming Love, even though we had the Christmas trees up last week. You've prepared your outfit. That's fantastic. I'm sure that many of you have gone out and bought gifts, right? I'm... I I don't do most of the gift shopping, but I've bought gifts, right? We've bought gifts. We've prepared a meal. We know what we're eating on Saturday, right? Maybe we've bought it. Maybe it's in the freezer. Maybe it's in the fridge. We're, We're already making preparations. We know who's coming. Maybe not everyone, but, you know, we know we're going to have four, five, six, 10, 12, 15 people in the house, or we're going someplace. We've made those plans. Maybe those plans have been in place for a year, Right, last year we went to mom's house. Uh, to, what, last year we went to grandpa's house. This year we're going to granddad's house, or however that works. <laughs> right? Last year we went to Florida. This year we're going to California. I don't know. I'm just saying, we've had plans in place for a while. We've prepared for this coming Saturday in the natural in great ways. We've hung the stockings. We've lit the Christmas tree. We've The list can be endless, right? We have lots of Christmas decorations. We didn't even actually put them all up this year. But we do all these things. But have we prepared our hearts for what God wants to do this Christmas season? Have we prepared our hearts for what God wants to do this Christmas season? See, because we know some of us, like I said, for over a year that we're going to Grandma's house, 
on Christmas, and we know who's going to be there, but have we prayed for the hearts of those that will be there that maybe don't know Christ? Have we prayed for even the hearts of those who will be there that do know Christ, that they may be impacted more with the love of God this holiday season? No matter where we go, no matter what we do, maybe you have no plans for Christmas. Maybe you're not going any place for Christmas, Christmas dinner. Maybe you don't know what you're going to do yet. But we can prepare our hearts to be ready for what God wants to do this Christmas. For what God wants to do this Christmas. When Jesus' birth came about, there was some preparation that went into it. Angels came and visited. Angel came and visited Zechariah, told him, hey, listen, you're gonna give a, your, your wife's going to give birth to a son in her old age, and he is going to go and prepare the way for another. Speaking of John the Baptist, he's going to go and prepare a way. God speaks to Mary, and an angel comes and speaks to Mary. You're going to have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. God sent Gabriel to Mary to prepare her heart. God sends the angel to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, listen, that which is conceived in your wife, betrothed wife, is of the Holy Spirit. God, this wasn't going to get messed up. Nobody was going to make a wrong move here. God had it planned out. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Before the foundations of the world, that God had ordained it for Christ to come. You wrap your mind around that for one moment. This is the plan. God has a plan from the very beginning. Before he created earth or man or the fall of man or any of this, there was a plan that Jesus would come and die for our sins. It was preordained before the foundations of the world. There was a plan. There was preparation. There was preparation in the heavenlies before the earth ever existed for Christmas Day. Glory to God. John chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Now, this is the testimony of John. John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And when they had, and, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. He could have said yes to either one of these things. He should have said yes to either one of these things. Later, when Jesus is talking to those who are gathered around, after John's disciples come and question him, right, he's talking to the people that are there, and he said, what did you go out and see? A reed shaken by the wind? No, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? He, said, he says, yes. Jesus says, yes. Was he a prophet? Jesus said, yes. And more than that, these are the words of Jesus, and more than that, if you, are, if you will receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus said, John the Baptist is 
Elijah who is to come. So when the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem come and ask him, are you a, prof- are you a prophet? Are you the Elijah? He should have said, yeah. Yep, that's me. <laughs> Continuing in verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you? He won't tell them who he is. So then they said, okay, well, listen, those, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Prepare the way of the Lord. You know, if we all walked in the same humility that John the Baptist walked in, none of us would have any troubles. Think about it for a minute. An angel comes and announces to his parents that he's to be born, and that he's to be holy and separated from birth, that he's never to drink wine, and he'll be holy and set apart, right? That's your parents' story of your birth. Now, John the Baptist prepares, goes and he prepares. He lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts and honey. That's his main diet. And he fasts often. If that was my diet, I think I'd fast too. (laughs) 30 years he prepares. And then he steps into a six-month ministry. He ministers for six months. Then he's arrested. Then he's beheaded. And what does he have to say about himself? I'm just a voice. Who who am I? God's just given me something to say, and I've got to say it. I'm just a voice. I am just a voice. I'm just here to tell you what God said. That's, That's my only purpose on this earth. Was he a prophet? Absolutely. Jesus said he was. Was he Elijah who is to come? Absolutely. Absolutely. What it was Jesus' testimony of John the Baptist. He said, there, was, there is not another born of woman who is greater than he. Not another who's greater than he. And then Jesus says, but he is least in the kingdom of heaven. How can this be? How can this be? Because John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. There was none greater than John the Baptist in all of the Old Testament. But when Jesus came on the scene, it began something new. And the New Testament prophets, even the least of these, are greater than John the Baptist. Shut up. crazy. Galatians 4, 4, but when in God's plan at the proper time, when the proper time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. It was no accident that Jesus was born exactly when he was. This was no accident at all. This was a great plan of God. This was a strategic move of God. There were so many things in place that we probably overlook, don't really know about, 
maybe we haven't seen before. This was not an accident, not even close. What were a few of the things, just a few of the things that were in place at this time when Jesus come, when Jesus came? Number one, there was a, a, a universal language that was spoken over most of the world, the Greek language. The Greek empire had fallen a few hundred years before, but Greek was still the predominant language spoken across all of the entire world. Because Greece had previously conquered the entire world, when they came, they taught Greece, Greek to everyone. Additionally, the Greek language in many ways is superior to our English language or even to the Hebrew language. We see in the New Testament words that are Greek that have no Hebrew equivalent like apostle and church or ecclesia, right? Ecclesia. These words are Greek and they have no Hebrew equivalent. Jesus wasn't just you know, borrowing from secular language, he inspired secular language to bring the words that he wanted. Greek language also goes beyond the, the English language in that there's up to 10 different ways to conjugate a verb. English language only has three. And so because the language was so extensive, it was the perfect language for the New Testament to be written in. There was an extensive system of roadways all across the known world. So the message of Christ could quickly be dispersed. There was peace at this time for the most part. Rome had conquered the world. They, they controlled everything. For the most part, there was peace. There were synagogues and... Um, there were synagogues and um, scrolls, the, 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 the law all across the known world. Why? Because the disbursement had had happened 586 years ago. So now, no matter where someone was going to travel with the message of the gospel, they already had the law. They already knew about God. Now they're hearing about the completion. There's synagogues everywhere. And when we read in the New Testament, when we read in the book of Acts about Paul, Paul went to a city and he went to the synagogue. He went to another city and he went to the synagogue. He went to another city and he went to the synagogue. And he began preaching to the Jews. And then the Gentiles gathered around when this new message came up. They said, hey, there's a new message going on up at the synagogue. Let's go check this out. We want to hear what this, this guy Paul has to say. It was all set in place. It, the, the infrastructure, if you will, was already there. God had spent hundreds of years preparing and building an infrastructure for the gospel to go across the globe. It's fantastic. Also at this time, Jerusalem, the temple, and the house of records in Jerusalem were still there. We all know, what, we all know Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city. It would be destroyed in 70 A.D., we understand the temple. The temple would also be destroyed in 70 AD. Are you familiar with, the, with what the House of Records is? Because the House of Records was destroyed and buried in 70 AD as well. The House of Records was a place where the lineage records of the Jewish family was kept. And it existed in Jerusalem. If you were to stand on the Temple Mount and face east, it would be south, east, east from the temple, and it would be down because the 
the, the um, temple was high, it would be down, it would be right about there. It was a small building. When Jerusalem was destroyed, it was destroyed as well. Many of those records were burnt, never to be read ever again. Why is that significant? Because when Messiah comes, he's to be of the house and lineage of David. Now, we don't read about it in the Bible, but I'm sure that at some point, Jesus went to that house and proved his lineage. This is where we read in the book of Matthew, in the, in the book of um, Luke, about the lineage of Jesus. And it says, this one, son of this one, this one, son of that one, this one, son of this one, this one, son of that one, and on and on and on and on and on. Messiah had to prove his lineage came from David. Jesus did. It can't be done any longer. Those records no longer exist. All of this, Jesus came at just the right time, in God's perfect plan. Before the foundations of the world, before God ever created the earth, he made a plan. They had a plan. It was foreordained that Jesus would come, born of a woman, live in human flesh, humbled himself, took on the attitude of a servant, and came for you and for me. Should we not also prepare for this coming day? Isaiah verse 43 through 5. This is, the, this is the quote that John refers to. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places made smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Back in the Old Testament, a king would make a proclamation and said, hey, I am going to go to Clifton Park. I'm here at Redeeming Love. I'm the king, and I'm going to go to Clifton Park. Now, today we have these highways that can get us there pretty quickly, but imagine that those highways didn't exist. And so what they would do is they would take right from here, and they would set a point, and they would not veer to the left or the right because there was a tree in the way. They'd cut the tree down. They wouldn't veer to the left or to the right because there was a ravine. They'd fill in the ravine. They wouldn't veer to the left or the right because there was a mountain. They'd cut the mountain down so that the king could get there as quickly as possible. Make straight the way of our God. A highway shall be made there. What's the highway for? So that he can get there quickly. Now, he's using a natural reference to define and to describe what should and what is going on in our hearts. See, because there's crooked places in our hearts. There's low places in our hearts. There's high mountains in our hearts. And those are the things that we need to work at. Those are the things where we need to prepare the way of the Lord. Take those rough patches and make them smooth. Take these crooked places and make them straight. How many of us drive on a crooked road? Right? You go to the left and right, and you got to go slow. You can't go fast around these turns, especially when there's snow on the road, right? Shh. 
You're in the ditch. They do this intentionally now. They'll make roads. You see the circles? If you ever see the circle, they don't get you straight coming into the circle. They take and they bend the road like this coming into the circle. So you have to slow down because you can't go fast around a curve. Slow down. They're saying slow down without actually putting up a sign. Slow down. You, you don't go as fast on curvy roads. But if the road's straight, you're going to go faster. This is why we're out in the Midwest, you know, the speed limit's 100 miles an hour. Why? Because the roads are straight as an arrow. We were on this road to Kansas City one time. And, you know, it's like, the, the, like you see in the movies. You, the, you look out and you do, the highway just disappears into the horizon. It just disappears into the sky. And we're driving down this road, and an hour later, nothing's changed. <laughs> On the right-hand side, there's a, a white farmhouse, dirty old white farmhouse. It's not freshly painted. It's old. And it's, it's there every 40 minutes or so, 15 minutes or so. There's another one, and it's another one, and it's another one. We're in Davy Jones' locker. We just keep going around in a circle. We're trapped. Get us out of here. These are the roads out west. I know we live in the northeast. Most of us don't have reference for this, but we drove to Kansas City one time. <laughs> Maybe twice. A long ride. Uh, we did it three times, I think. Uh, we're crazy. Crazy for God. Make straight the way of the Lord. Make, straight, make it straight. What's in the way? There's high places in our heart. Where do we have pride in our heart? That's got to come out. Where is it that you don't think highly enough of yourself? That's a low place. Not thinking well enough of yourself is just as dangerous as thinking too highly of yourself. It's, it's pride in the opposite direction. I've gone over mountain, I, I hike, and I've gone over mountaintops, and they're hard. They're difficult. Well, let me tell you something. When you're down in the low place, oh boy, that's where the swamps are at. You know, you've got to navigate. I've fallen into swamps while I'm hiking, get all wet. These are the low places. That's not pretty. It's just as bad as a high place. We don't need to have self-confidence we need to have God confidence. <laughs> I don't think less of myself, right? That's not humility. Humility doesn't think less of myself. I think of myself less. It's not about me. It's never been about me. It's still not about me. It's never going to be about me. It's only ever about him. I just think of myself less, which means I think of God and others more. What do I want? I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. Remove the high places. Lift up the low places. Crooked places made straight. Rough places made smooth. Why? So God can come and he can have his way more readily in our lives. When the pride goes and the false humility goes... God can come and he can work through us better. He can work through us easier. We, come, we become better vessels. You know, if you take a hose, garden hose, and you kink it all up, the water will flow slowly. If you straighten it out, the water will flow quicker. You didn't change the size of the garden hose, 
but just the, the bending of it slows the flow. It slows the flow. Matthew 3, 1 through 2. It says, in those days, what was the message that John the Baptist had? It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we make the high places low, make the low places high, make it nice and smooth? How do we do this? We do this through the process of repentance. The process of repentance brings us to a place where the high places are made low, where the low places are made level, where the crooked places are made straight and the rough places are made smooth. It's in the repentance. It's in the repentance. When we repent, we're not only just saying that we're sorry for what we've done. We're not only giving up our own way of thinking and turning towards God's way of thinking. We're saying, God, I want to do it the way you want me to do it. I want to get on board with your schedule. Change my, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing the way I think. I'm changing my heart. I want my heart to live for different things because of you, because of what you've already done for me. This is repentance at its core. I'm changing my course. I'm turning from sin and I'm turning to God. I want to walk out my salvation with fear and trembling all of the rest of the days of my life. I will never tire in the process of figuring out how I can follow God better. I will never tire in the process of just figuring out what it is in my life that needs to go so that God can come and have his way more until the point where Jesus is just flowing through me hasn't happened yet. It's coming. He flows through me. I want it to exponentially increase. I want it to, be, <laughs> I want it to exponentially increase. I want this increase. I'm not happy with where I'm at. I want more. And when we all want more together, then the, then the power of God is released. If you take a two-pound fishing line, you put a two-pound weight, it'll break with two pounds of pressure. If you take two two-pound fishing lines and you twist them together, the, the weight that it holds isn't four, it's six. If you take three fishing lines and twist them all together, it doesn't just become, it, it's something like 15 pounds to break it. Why? This is God's math system. This is the way it works. So when I have a right heart and you have a right heart and we're all preparing that God would come better, the growth is exponential. The power that we see manifested in our presence is gonna be exponential. The increase isn't just gonna be like, hey, he did this, so I'm giving that. No, it's gonna be he did this and she did that, so I'm giving this and this and this and this. Prepare your heart to follow the Lord. John 15, 11, and 12 says this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that my joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to prepare your heart before God for this Christmas season. 
God has a plan for your life every single day of your life. Psalm 139 says that there were books written about my life before yet one day came to be. God has a plan and he has a purpose. He foreordained the birth of Jesus, his birth, death on the cross, and resurrection. He foreordained it before the earth was ever put together. God has a plan for your life. He wrote the story of your life before you lived one day. Psalm 139. God planned this Christmas for you. God knew where you would be this Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't know how long you celebrate Christmas. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Some of us celebrate Christmas for a week. We should. (laughs) Why does Christmas have to be just one day? It doesn't. It's every day. Every day I celebrate the birth of Christ. Every day I celebrate what Jesus did. Every day I glory in the fact that God came to earth and lived among us, Emmanuel, every day. But God has a plan for you this Christmas to do something amazing. Maybe you're just going to share love with a a relative. Maybe you're going to share love with a loved one. Maybe you're going to witness to somebody at at the grocery store when you're picking up the cranberry sauce for the turkey dinner. Who knows? Are you ready? Did you prepare your heart? We need to daily prepare our heart, but I want, to, I want us to really prepare our hearts this Christmas season. We're at a point in our nation where there's more division than there is unity. And we could point the finger anywhere we want and blame anyone we want, and it won't solve the problem. What we need to do is love one another and show love one for another. We need to not judge. People feel judged already. I was in the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts picking up a coffee, and there was a lady who was parked where the drive-thru had to come around who had run out of gas, and she was putting gas into her uh, SUV with a red container. And when I pulled up next to her, I rolled down my window, and I said, Do you need help? I just wanted to help. And all she had to say was excuses. It happens to everyone. She was very upset, and she felt like I was judging her when I offered help. I just wanted to help. But she took it as judgment. See, you need help. What are you doing letting your car run out of gas? I didn't say that. But that's the way that what I said was interpreted. And so we need to be on guard that we are not passing judgment. People already feel judged. The world's judging them. Let's not let that be us. Let's commit to Romans 11, I think it is. You know? Listen, that's your decision. You have peace with that? You go with that. That's your decision? You have peace with that? You go with that. One of the big mistakes that we make is that we try to live our life on someone else's faith. We can't violate our own conscience. What faith has God given you? Live by that faith. 
See, the Word of Faith movement made a mistake when they came up with this confession of faith, right? Well, the Word, the word says that I should have something, so I'm going to confess that I have it, and then I'll get it. I'm going to get a, I have a Ferrari, I have a Ferrari, I have a Ferrari. Well, that Ferrari didn't manifest. Well, that's dumb. Is, it's not a, that's not a confession of faith. That's a confession of want. Faith has to start in your heart. Faith doesn't come because I make a, make a statement with my mouth. Faith is an intellectual. Faith is from the heart. And so when we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, we're making a confession of faith, and then we'll have what we ask for or what we're declaring. And we've made a mistake to declare what we know we should or could have, but there's no faith attached to it. When our confession matches our faith, which comes from our heart, comes from our spirit, it'll always be true. And God gives different measures of faith to different people. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I will trust in the name of my God. Horses and chariots are both great weapons of war. And there was a long discussion for a long time over which one was better. I'll take the horses. I'll take the chariots. I'll take the horses. I'll take the chariots. Some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. I'm going to trust in God. Today's no different. Here we are, 4,000 years later. Some trust in ivermectin and some trust in the vaccine. I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord. Don't allow division in your life. Period. I don't care what your decision is. I'm going to respect it. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to love you. I know God loves you. And I'm not going to let what you think or what you think or what they think or what they think change the way I live. Change my love for you and for one another. What do you have faith for? Prepare your heart. The world wants to argue. The world wants to divide. The enemy of your soul wants to divide. Don't allow it. Make a decision to be unified. We can still do whatever we want to do to protect ourselves, but love. Love is the answer. Love is the answer. Love breaks down walls. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. And when we lead, we need to lead with, lead with love. Prepare our hearts with the love that comes from the love of God that we right reach out and tear down some of the dividing walls that we find in our lives. Amen? Amen? Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you for this Christmas season. Jesus, we thank you for Jesus, who was born of a baby, born as a baby in a manger, in a lowly place, God. He came, and at just the right time, he died on that cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he sits with you there now. He made a way for us where there was no way. He made provision for us where we couldn't pay the debt for ourselves. 
God, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for all that he's done. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of, my, of your life, I want to invite you to do that today. Jesus loves you. He died for you that you could live with him. That you could have fellowship with him here now and live forever in heaven. If that's you today and you want to follow him with your life, I want you to say this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life. I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose from the grave, and that you're seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, help me live to live for you all of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to check that on your Engage card. If you've done that, I'm going to send you some information this week that explains the decision that you make and what your next steps are. Basically, your next step is to find a great church where you can plug in and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Merry Christmas, you guys. Christmas service this Christmas Eve, 6 p.m., Service will be kept to one hour. We hope to see many of you there. Invite a friend. There's invite cards on your seats. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon.